And here we go, everybody. Another edition of Jamal About Sports coming to you on a Tuesday, August 20th, 2019. Kicking off the show, Ian Asper in the Colt with Love Removal Machine, a classic hard-charging alternative track. We've got a big show to get to. We've got lots of Major League Baseball as the wild card races are heating up, including the Metsies. And we've got, as well, some uh, NFL preseason to discuss, including a little bit of the Lions. And uh, a couple of TV show recommendations will round out the show. But we begin with Major League Baseball and uh, the Mets. Uh, discussed it on the last show that uh, if you would have told me, I guess now we are, you know, probably a month plus. Um, let's just, you know what, let's use the All-Star break as our guide because since the All-Star break, the Mets have had uh, the best record in the majors at 24 and 10. So, um, and if so, if you would have told me at the All-Star break, the Mets would go 24 and 10 in their first 34, 30, 34 games coming out of the break and that they would be two out of the second wild card and uh, let's see and four games out in the loss column two overall of the first game the first spot of the wild card uh, I would have signed up for it right then and there on the spot I wouldn't have believed you and but I would have said of course take that every day all day um, my buddy uh, JB and I big Mets fan one of my big golfing buddies, we said, I think, a while ago, as the Mets started to kind of creep their way back in, in, into this, we wanted a game out on September 1st. So that's well within reach. Here we are on August 20th. Um, we'll see. Look, the Mets' schedule gets much harder, right? The JV portion of the schedule is over. No more Pirates. And by the way, Pirates, could you even try to show up in the series against the Nationals? Could you try a little bit? I mean, they lost thirteen nothing last night. They lost what fifteen to five the night before. I mean, it's embarrassing. Guys all over the up and down the Nats lineups are hitting home runs every two seconds. It's a joke. I mean, look, I understand. Can't complain too much. The Mets took advantage of a bad Pirates team too. But I mean, they competed a little bit. Well, I guess not the game that Sunday game where Syndergaard pitched. But I mean, look, the, the Pirates have seven wins since the All Star break. Seven. So no more Pirates on the schedule for the Mets. No Orioles, no Tigers, no Royals. The Mets took two out of three from the Royals. Kind of annoying, but look, they lost the first game, so at least they came back and won the next two. They really should have won two out of three in Atlanta. Look, I said it last week on the show. My big issue is still Mickey Callaway. The guy really has a terrible feel. It's astonishing how a guy who supposed forte is pitching being that he was a pitching coach with the Indians, has such a poor feel of when to take a guy out, when to leave a guy in, and then who to bring in, who to not bring in. I mean, it's it's really, it's astonishing. And you go back to that game earlier last week against the Braves when a Mets let Steven Matz hit for himself. He had pitched six innings, only thrown 79 pitches, and only given up two hits, and had retired the last 14 hitters. And the Mets took a 2-1 lead, and he took him out to bring in Seth Lugo. Now, yes, Seth Lugo had been great for a month. Now, he did give up that home run to the Nationals in that National Series. The Mets overcame it. 
because Luis Guillorme, of all people, hit a pinch hit home run off Fernando Rodney that same game, and the Mets won it in the ninth. But, uh, yes, he had been great for a month, but I keep going back to this. Seth Lugo's not as good as the Mets think he is. He's been very good for the most part this year. Anyone remember the Cubs game where he gave up the three-run homer? Gave up that home run against the Nationals? Gave up five runs against the Braves in that game the other night. Again, I'm not saying he's bad. He's not bad. It's like, I feel like I'm Manny Patinkin in The Princess Bride, where he says to Wallace on that, that word you keep saying, I do not think it means what you think it means. I mean, Mets, Mickey Calloway, Mets announcers, Mets fans, Seth Lugo is not as good as you think he is. Just because he's been more reliable than the atrocious Edwin, for the most part, atrocious Edwin Diaz and Jairus Familia does not mean he's Mariano Rivera. So Callaway brought Lugo in to pitch the seventh, and he's going to pitch the eighth with a one-run lead, and then what? We're trying to piece it together in the ninth with Justin Wilson and maybe Louis Avalon? I mean, you, you would have had a better argument if you were going to bring in Lugo, if, if Mats had gone seven, and then you're going to have Lugo pitch the next two innings and close it out. That I could have been on board with, but not in the seventh inning, and not again after Mats had retired 14 in a row. This again is where the, the new way of managing is completely idiotic. It makes no sense. Mickey, are you watching what's going on in the game? And then his response is, well, I do that move 100 out of 100 times. Well, you'd be wrong 100 out of 100 times. And his other defense was, well, Josh Donaldson was leading off the inning. Okay, I get it, Jill. Josh Donaldson's a very good hitter. He's having a very good year. I was always a fan of him when he was in the Blue Jays, so I'm not going to sit here and tell you he's not any good. He is. He's also uh, not Albert Pujols in his prime. Or he's not Mike Trout now. Yes, he's having a very good year with 28 home runs. A lot of guys have 28 home runs. It's not like he's an automatic. And even if he does hit a home run, guess what? The game is still only tied now. But, I mean, talk about managing scared. Made no sense. And this is my big problem. Is Callaway continuously makes decisions like this that forget about even head scratchers. They're just flat out wrong. They make no sense. And, I mean, look, he's not alone. Ned Yost gifted the Mets a win on Sunday. Gifted them a win. Mets got out to a 3 nothing lead on a three-run homer by Conforto to start the game. Then went into full-on sleep mode. The, the, the game was sloppy. Tomas Nido, or Nito, who's the cat, backup catcher, who's supposedly be a defensive stalwart, had a catcher's interference that led to the Royals' first run. Didn't block a ball in the dirt that he should have blocked that led to two more runs. He had a blooper into center field that dropped in front of Lagares, again, in there for his defense, even though he's been hitting lately, uh, that should that needs to be caught. And even there was a, a bloop in front of Aaron Althair, who's also only in there for his defense, that he should have caught. So the Mets got way sloppy. Wheeler himself made an error on a bunt, threw a bad a high throw to first base that also contributed. So the Mets go down 4-3. The pitcher for the Royals, after that first run, that first inning where he gave the three-run homer to Conforto, settled in nicely. 81, and he's, he's, I believe he's a rookie, and the Royals are going absolutely nowhere, right? They are 45 and 80. They're going nowhere. This guy's a first or second year pitcher. 81 pitches, they pull him after six innings. Wouldn't you want to see 
if this maybe is a piece you can build around for the future and see how he does the later he goes into a game, what the hell are you taking him out for? And Ned Yost is supposed to be an old school guy. And then the Royals bullpen came in and the Mets jumped all over it, thankfully, and, and got out of there with an 11-5 win. But, I mean, it's, it's insanity what goes on, the way these managers manage the, the starting pitchers now. It's insane. And everyone just stands around and just shrugs their shoulders, I guess. Makes no sense. None. Here's where the race, though, is going to come down to. Bullpens. Because of the way the game is managed now, bullpen is more important now than ever. And what is actually could help the Mets here is that for as, 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 as inconsistent and recently bad as Diaz has been, and same for Familia. Familia has actually just been bad all year until recently. He's starting to show signs that he's regained his form. Look, he's never going to be the 51 and then 40-something save guy from 2015 and 16 on the Mets. They don't need him to be that. They just need him to be what he was last year, which is when the Mets traded him to the A's, he was an effective eighth-inning guy. The Mets can get that Familia, that'll be a huge boost for them. And the same with Diaz. I said this at the beginning of the year. Now, I didn't expect him to be as bad as he's been this year, but I certainly also didn't expect him to be what he was last year with a .8-something whip and a 57 saves and all that. But if Diaz could just right the ship to the point where he's at least a reliable back end of the bullpen option, I'm not even saying necessarily closer. Maybe some days closer when, when Lugo's not available or whatever the matchups are. But, I mean, the weird thing about Diaz is the strikeouts are still there. So the stuff is still there. You still see him throwing 97, 98, 99, 100. The slider's been the big issue. It looked much better on Sunday, granted, against a bad Royals team. So let's not read too much into it. But, I mean, he's still averaging like 15 strikeouts per nine innings. It's not like this guy lost his stuff. You know, I think part of it's a confidence issue and part of it's a mechanical issue. And I think part of it is also the fact that, you know, a lot of guys have been complaining about the ball this year with the seams being a lot lower and having a tough time getting a grip. I mean, look, Syndergaard struggled with it for a, a big part of the season and has gotten it together recently. His last seven or eight starts, Friday night he only pitched six innings. Again, why, I don't know, in American League ballpark with a DH when he threw 92 pitches. Why Callaway insisted on taking him out of the game, I'll never know. In a game the Mets were losing 2-1 at the time. And then Brad Brack, who's been a decent late-season addition here, had a little hiccup that night. He gave up two runs. Okay, other than that, he's been pretty good. But again, why were you taking Syndergaard out there to begin with? He's 92 pitches in six innings, and it's the American League. It's DH, so you don't have to pinch hit for him. So before that, he got, I think, six or seven starts in a row of at least seven innings. But even on, on, on that Friday night start, where he wasn't great. Still two, six, six innings, two runs. You take that most nights. Mets just didn't hit on Friday night. I mean, it, 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 I'm sorry. Against the Royals, if your starting pitcher goes six innings and only gives up two runs, you need to win that game. But here's the thing. If Familia and Diaz can be effective, and they added Brad Brack, who, you know, look, that guy was really good a couple years ago for the Orioles. Now, he's been bad for the last year and a half. But you know, we talk all the time about these, 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 these relievers. They are a fickle bunch. 
Sometimes a change of scenery is all it needs. Remember in, in 06, the Mets picked up Guillermo Moda midway through the year? Guy who had been real good and then real bad, and then he was a, he was a stud, and then he never w- w- approached that again, and then he was way up and down for the Mets in 07. But, I mean, we see this happen. This happens a lot. And then, look, Justin Wilson's been good since he came back off the DL. Luis Avalon's been good since he came back off the DL. Now, it looks like they're going to be without Gesellman for the rest of the year. Uh, by the way, not a huge loss. He, 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 I never trust that guy. Never trust him. I mean, he's not awful, but I just I can never trust the guy. So they're going to have to do something there. I would think that they should give this Steven Nogasek another look. He got a little cup of coffee earlier in the year. Looked good one or, one or two outings and didn't look so great. He's been lights out at AAA. Lights out. The whip is like .8. 27 innings, 9 hits, 27 strikeouts. Only 3 walks. I would give him another look. Enough with Paul Seawald, please. Enough with Tyler Bashler, please. Enough with Jacob Rahm, please, although I think he's out for the year now. Enough with all these guys. Walker, lock it. Stop it. But here's the good news. The Nationals bullpen's a mess. Sean Doolittle, who the Mets own, we talked about it a couple of weeks ago in the last show, had a horrific game against the Brewers. He gave up four home runs in the ninth inning, and now he's on the IL. The Cubs' bullpen has been garbage. It's been terrible. Strope, Kinsler, uh, Craig Kimbrell has been bad. I mean, they, they can't get out of their own way. They've blown multiple late-inning leads. My buddy's a Cubs fan texted me last week. They had three starts in a row where their starters combined to give up like two or three runs and went seven innings each of them, and they lost all three games. So that bullpen is a mess. The Brewers' bullpen, uh, Josh Hader, who everybody loves. By the way, Mets fans, you might want to pay attention before you want to completely give up on Edwin Diaz. Josh Hader, who everyone loved last year, Mr. Hard-Throwing Lefty, he has six blown saves now and has given up home runs all over the place. And the Mets are now a half game up on the Brewers, by the way, and won in the loss column after they lost last night to St. Louis. St. Louis now is leading the division in the Central, but that Central division, we'll get to the, the, the races in a minute, is all over the place. Between the Cardinals, Cubs, and Brewers, it's tightly packed. And then obviously the, the others, those other, whoever is not in first is going to be part of the wild card mix. So right now you've got the Nationals leading, the Cubs being the second wild card, the Phillies and the Mets tied a game back, two in the loss column of the Cubs. And the Mets play the Cubs here in a couple weeks. They've got the three now starting tonight with the Indians, who are a good team. Then they've got the Braves, who are winning the division by a lot and always give the Mets a problem. And then they've got the Cubs. Mets need to at least take two out of the... Look, these next nine games, Mets have to go six and three. They, they need to go six and three. Five and four probably won't kill you but if they go 6-3 and three in these next nine, I think they'll move themselves into that second or maybe even first wildcard spot. But the good news, like I said, is all these other teams that are in the wildcard mix, except for the Cardinals, who've had their bullpen's been the best bullpen in the National League since the All-Star break. Although I don't trust Carlos Martinez as a closer either. But they have some other guys in front of them, like Gallego, have been very good. 
but the Cardinals lineup is not very good. I mean, Chris Carpenter's hitting, or sorry, Matt Carpenter's hitting 215 this year. Dexter Fowler isn't any good. Ozuna's pretty good. Goldschmidt's having an okay year, not great. Paul DeYoung kills the Mets, does nothing against anybody else. Um, you know, Molina's still amazingly going strong. But, you know, look, the Cardinals always scare me. I mean, look, the Cardinals have long been a thorn in the Mets' side. You can go all the way back to the 80s, when in 1985, the Mets, I think, won 97 games and, and lost out to the Cardinals because there were no wild card then, so the Mets didn't win the, make the playoffs. Then in 87, the year after the Mets won the World Series, Mets came roaring back from a really rough first half. They were nine back at the All-Star break, had a big... Labor Day weekend series with the Cardinals at Shea. Down back one, they'd cut it to a game and a half back. Had a lead. Orozco let the Cardinals tie the game in the ninth. McDowell came in, I believe, in the tenth. Gave up a two-strike, two-out, three-run homer to Terry Pendleton, who was not a home run hitter. And that pretty much took all the air out of the balloon, and that pretty much sunk the Mets from there on in. Uh, so you, those two years, and then you can flash forward to 2006 when a mediocre at best 83-win Cardinals team beat that juggernaut 2006 Mets team in the NLCS. When guys like Yadi Molina, who by the way back then was a scrub, he was a good he was good defensively always, but couldn't hit a lick. He was a 210 hitter that year. Hits a big home run off Aaron Heilman. When So Taguchi, who couldn't touch anything, hit a big home run off Billy Wagner. And then despite one of the greatest catches, maybe the greatest catch you'll ever see in postseason play for Mendy Chavez, the Mets still managed to lose that game. So the Cardinals have long been a thorn in the Mets' side. So I, I would love to see them out of the mix. But, or let, let them go ahead and win the Central. And the Mets could deal with the Cubs, whose bullpen is all over the place. The Phillies' bullpen is not great. The Brewers' bullpen is not great. And the Brewers' starting pitching isn't any good. See, the Cubs can get some good starting pitching. I mean, Lester can still give you a good start. Hendricks is okay. Cole Hamels. You Darvish, eh, I, I don't trust him with a 10-foot pole. But, I mean, he's not awful. I mean, that's four pretty good, you know, you know what, forget about you, Darvish. But three pretty good starters, plus Darvish is eh. But that bullpen's bad. But, you know, the Cubs lineup is pretty good. Or it can be. It's very hot and cold. But, you know, with Brian and Rizzo and Baez and Schwarber, the catcher can hit, Contreras. I mean, they, 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 they've got plenty of thump in the lineup over there. So the Cubs are definitely formidable. Nationals have a very good lineup. And, of course, when Scherzer comes back, and then you throw him in with Strasburg and Corbin, three very good starters at the top of the rotation. And a very good lineup, headed by Anthony Rendon. And, by the way, they got Esdrubal Cabrera for nothing. The Mets tried to get him. He said he didn't want to come back. He complained because the Mets didn't bring him back. this year. It's dopey. Um... But you know he's going to hurt the Mets in a game later in the year. You know it. And then the other interesting thing, a little sidebar, is we talked about the Mets dumping Denny Echevarria, who's a much better player than Luis Guillorme, uh, that, that, that miracle home run aside. 
And guess who picked them up? The Braves. Even though the Braves have a much deeper and better roster than the Mets do. But somehow, the Braves found some value in a Denny Echeverria. And of course, his first start for them went two for three with a double. And gives you flawless defense in, in the field. And you know, he'll hurt the Mets, for sure, in this next series coming up over the weekend. You can just book it right now. Mark, lock it in, folks. All right, we'll take a short break. We'll take a look around the majors right after this. All righty, we are back here on a Tuesday edition of Jamal about sports, taking a look around the majors. So, look, Yankees just keep rolling along. I understand they're bludgeoning these terrible teams. Uh, again, uh, you, you know, you, you can only play who you can play. Uh, we, we've been talking about this for two years now. This is a bad trend in Major League Baseball. This idea that these teams are not even trying, it's it's antithetical to the whole concept of competition. And just because the Cubs and the Astros, after stinking the joint out, by the way, for at least five years each, finally won a World Series, this is not some foolproof method here. I mean, would you rather be a fan of the A's who compete every single year and have a shot or would you rather be a fan of a team that stinks for 10 years and then gives you one great year and then stinks for another 10? Now, look, I understand the Cubs and the Astros have now gotten content, or good, and they're going to contend. But, again, this is not a foolproof method, and it's bad for the sport. I mean, the Blue Jays are atrocious, 52-75. and 75. The Orioles are 39-86 and 86 with a minus 262 run differential. I mean, at least the Blue Jays have, you know, the three legacy kids in Guerrero Jr., Bichette, and Biggio. Not much else, though. A couple other guys on that team aren't terrible. I mean, who do the Orioles have? Trey Mancini and who else? And Nunez kid has 20-something home runs. But they're atrocious. You know, the White Sox... 56 and 68. Yeah, they got some decent young pieces there. I know I said I thought they'd be a pain in the neck for some teams. They, they haven't been. I was wrong. The Royals, again, 45 and 80. The Tigers, 37 and 85. I mean, come on. And the Mariners are 53 and 78. These, these teams are just bad. And the National League, you know, you've got the Marlins at 45 and 78 are wretched. The Pirates have fallen off the cliff. They're 51 and 73. We talked about them before. Seven wins since the All-Star break. You know, the West isn't that bad, right? The Rockies are, you know, 57 and 68. It's not good. But like I said, they're always a pain in the neck to play, particularly if you play them in Coors Field. You know, the Padres are six games under, you know. They've got some pieces over there, right? Although it looks like Tatis Jr. is out for the rest of the year, unfortunately. But, you know, Hosmer's, eh, he's okay. He's a professional hitter. Machado, he's having a good, not great year. Certainly not worthy of the contract he got, but he's, you know, he's still a good player. You know, the Diamondbacks are 500. Giants are one game over. I mean, the West, look, the Dodgers are obviously running away with it at 82 and 44. They certainly look at the cream of the crop. Again, the big, the, the, the big one here is, is the Central, where you've got the Cardinals a half-game lead over the Cubs, a game in the loss column, and then the Brewers are four games back, three three back, sorry, four in the loss column. Um, and then in the East, look, it's not a fait accompli here that the Braves are winning that division. They're four games up in the loss column on the Nationals and eight on the Mets and Phillies. Now, the Mets play the Braves, I believe, six more times. 
So if the Mets ever wanted to make some hay and control their own destiny a little bit, there you go. Now, it's a tall order. The Braves are good. And the Mets always seem to find, figure out a way to lose to the Braves. That's the other thing. Always, I mean, look, the Braves' best hitter is Freddie Freeman, and he also kills the Mets. That's a big problem. Uh, it looks like the Acuna Jr. kid also is going to be a Met killer. He's also really good. Um, you know, we talked about Donaldson, Albies, um, Braves lineup is very good. It's deep. It can hit. Starting pitching, I'm not as sold on. They got some decent young arms, but still somewhat unproven. And the bullpen, look, uh, Shane Green, we talked about him. Uh, I mean, he's been nothing but bad since they got him. There's a big difference between closing meaningless games for the Tigers and then being thrust into the midst of a pennant race. And that guy's always up and down. Remember when the Yankees traded him for Didi Gregorius the first two weeks or three months of the season, Cashman, everyone was hammering Brian Cashman because Shane Green got off to like a 6-0 start with like a, a sub-2 ERA, and, the, and Gregorius had a slow start to his first year as a Yankee. And then, you know, Gregori, uh, Shane Green was getting traded again, and now, you know, he went from being a starter to now he's supposedly a closer. Uh, no. And then Mark Melanson is now their closer. Another one. Uh, never trust that guy in a big spot. Ever. Never. So, not sold on the Braves' bullpen. Their lineup is probably the best in, in the National League. Maybe the Nationals right there with them. And the Mets, at times, lineup can be that good, especially when McNeil's back. And they may be getting Nimmo back. And they may be even, they may, we may even get a Jed Lowry signing, by the way, before the season's over. All kidding aside, if he does come back and is, you know, gives gives them anything, that'd be a huge lift. But when look, when the Mets lineup is McNeil, Rosario, who by the way continues to be fantastic, I got to give him credit. I was very hard on him last year. He's had a monster second half and even longer than that. When the Mets lineup is McNeil, Rosario, Conforto, Alonso, Wilson Ramos, J.D. Davis, Todd Frazier hitting seventh, which is where he belongs in the lineup. And then, you know, whoever's in center, if it's Ligaris or whatever, eighth, okay, you deal with it. But, and remember, all the Mets pitchers can hit. Not that that's, you know, not that you rely on your, your pitchers, of course, for offense, but it's a nice little, it's a nice value add. Um, so the Mets lineup can be very good at times, too. So, look, Dodgers had the West wrapped up. The Braves, again, not a done deal, and the Central is a dogfight between three teams. You go over to the American League, the West, you know, Astros' eight-game lead. Look, there's still like 40 games left. And the A's, God bless them, 71-53, still hanging in there. But I think, the, you know, the Astros are just really good. The Central is a dogfight between the Twins and the Indians. Right now, the Twins have a two-game lead over the Indians. And then in the, in the, cent- uh, the, the East, the Yankees, obviously, with the big 10-game lead over Tampa Bay. Boston, you know, look, they've won five in a row. They beat up on a terrible Orioles team. They won three. They swept them. They're back to eight over 500. Chris Sale's going to be probably done for the year, although he doesn't need to have surgery, which is good news for them. But they'll likely shut it down. Look, if you're the Red Sox, it, it's, real, it's not the end of the world, folks. And by the way, my fans, my, my buddies that are Red Sox fans, they, 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 are, they are very 
aware of this. They're like, look, we won the World Series last year. Okay, it's not the end of the world. We're not going to make the playoffs this year. Now, if you're the Yankees, you don't, you don't want to see the Red Sox in the playoffs. AG told you that two weeks ago. But, you know, they've got a tough road to hoe here. They're, they're, they are, in the wild card standings, I think eight or nine games back. But look, the Red Sox' future is bright. They've got a great young core with Betts and Bogarts and Benintendi uh, and Devers and even uh, the Chavis kid. I mean, they're, they're, there's, there's a lot to like there. All right, they're probably going to dump Porcello. They've got to probably make some upgrades to the starting staff. they obviously got to get the bullpen straightened out. But, you know, Dave Dombrowski knows what he's doing up there. Guy's built winning teams wherever he's been. Marlins, Tigers, now Boston. They'll be fine. So if, if, if the Red Sox' bad year is 86 wins, you know, on a bad year, 85 wins, it's fine. The year after they won the World Series, nobody's shedding any tears. That's fine. So let's go over the wild card standings really quick. So in the American League, we talked about the National League. American League, Indians... 74 and 51, Tampa Bay 73 and 53. So two games and a loss between first and second. And then the A's are essentially tied with Tampa Bay in the loss column at 53. Right now, technically, they, they played a le- two less games. So they're 71 and 53, Tampa 73 and 53. So they're a game back, but they're tied in the loss column. And so, yeah, and then the Red Sox are 67 and 59. So they are. Six games back of Tampa. You know what? Look, stranger things have happened. Again, there's like 40 games left to go here, 38 games to go. Let's see. The Mets are 64 and 60, so they played 124 games. There's 162 games, so the Mets have 38 games left to go. The Mets go 24 and 14, play 10 over, gets them to 88 wins. I think that gets them in. To either the first or second wild card spot, and they might be able to do it. Let's see. You know what? Let's take a look. I, I just just for fun, just a fun exercise. I know you always get in trouble doing this, but let's just take a look at the Mets schedule, shall we? We'll take a look at the Mets schedule. We'll take a look at the National schedule. Take a look at the NL Central team schedules because if those teams play each other a lot, that could certainly help the Mets because they could be beating beating each other up. All right, so. The Mets, starting tonight, they got three at home. And the good news is the Mets have been a good home team this year. They're like 13 over 500. They've got three against Cleveland. Mats versus Bieber, advantage Indians. Stroman versus Plutko, I'd say it's call it a draw. Syndergaard versus Savali, advantage Mets. Mets got to take two out of three. Then Friday against the Braves, DeGrom, Fulton, Nevitz. Uh, Fulton has not been good this year. Mets need to win that game, although it's always a struggle when DeGrom pitches, although he's finally 8-7, and seven, folks. Finally got over 500 this year, not through any fault of his own. By the way, DeGrom's had one of the best ERAs in all of baseball for like the last two and a half months, and he's down to like 2.6. But with what uh, Ryan John Hughes doing in, uh, out in L.A. with a one-something ERA, uh, DeGrom ain't winning the Cy Young again this year, but he's been fantastic. Other than like three bad starts in April, he's been great. Wheeler, Max Freed on Saturday. You never know what you're getting from Wheeler. Uh, and then Max versus Keuchel 
on Sunday. Uh, Keuchel is very hittable. The Mets, of course, didn't touch him the last time they p- faced him. But to start before that, he got bombed by the Marlins, who can't hit anybody. So you never know. Then the Cubs, you've got Stroman versus Darvish. I'd say that's a draw. Syndergaard versus Hendricks, advantage Mets. DeGrom versus Lester. And, you know, Lester, again, he's had some very bad starts this year for the Cubs, but the guy's a pro. You never know. Then the Mets are at Philly for three, okay? So the Mets control their own destiny. They're going to have six games there against teams that, they're, that they are either tied with right now or a little bit behind for the wild card. Then they're at Washington. For, so they've got a nine, sorry, and then they're at Philly. So they've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. They've got a 12-game stretch between August 27th and September 9th. When you wake up as a Mets fan on September 9th, you'll know whether or not the Mets, we'll know as Mets fans whether or not they're still alive in the wild card or not. Because they're going to play 12 games against three teams that they're either tied with or are ahead of the Mets right now for the wild card. Cubs are ahead of them. They're tied with Philly, and the Nationals are ahead of them. And they're at Philly, but that's not so bad. The Mets play well in Philly. Then they get Philly for three at home. Then they're at Washington. The Mets actually don't do badly in Washington either. That's going to be huge. Then they're home for Arizona for four. Home for L.A. for three mid-September. By then, the, the, the Dodgers could be wrestling guys. You never know. Then I got to go on a road and play at Colorado, who's a pain in the neck. But maybe by then, the Rockies are so far out of it. They're, you know, they're not really into it. Then they're at Cincinnati, same thing. Not that good, but you never know. Then they get four at home against the Marlins late in the year, who they need to close out. That probably will likely need to be a sweep. And then they got they close the season three at home against the Braves. You know, look, that best case scenario if you're a Mets fan, that's for the division, of course. Um, although, if you were a Mets fan, would you, would you take... Of course you take having the wild card locked up. I mean, the best case scenario there is you have a wild card spot locked up somehow, and then that could get you in, into a, a, a one-game playoff for the division or, or outright win the division. Um, or, you know, you're a game or two, you're a game back of the last wild, this, one of the wild card spots, and the Braves have locked up the division. They have nothing to play for, except the, I'm sure the Braves would love to knock the Mets out of it. So they, they, they won't have nothing to play for. That's actually a dumb thing I just said. So scratch that. So, look, the good news is the Mets, they, they control their own destiny. And, again, that's 38 games. They go 24-14 and 14 in those. I think they get it. And, look, you know what? I'm also going to amend what I just said. Look, you love to take two out of three every series you play. If you're going to lose two out of three in one of these series, this is the one against the Indians because they're an American League team. Not the end of the world. Just don't get swept. Of course, look, we want two out of three, don't get me wrong, but I'm not also going to sit here and go bananas if they lose two out of three to a good Indians team. All right, let's take a look next at Washington's schedule, shall we? And by the way, I have to say, as much as I rip baseball, and there's a lot to rip, Right, the the way the game is played, and all the analytics, and the way the managers deal with the starting pitch, all that stuff. This is why a long season is fun, though. You have to admit. I mean, this look. 
it's 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 August twentieth, and the Mets are still in the mix. When a month ago you thought, not a, there was no chance. All right, let's take a look now, shall we, at the Nationals' schedule. All right, Nationals. Oh, my God, they've got three more against Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh, can you win one game? Could you win one of these three next three games? Just one. Then they're at Chicago. Okay, so that helps the Mets, right? One of those two teams, you know, those teams a little beat. Oh, they got two against Baltimore. Three against Miami. These are all home games. Then they're at the Mets. Then they're at Atlanta for four. Okay. Then they're at Minnesota for three. Okay. No easy task there. Then they got Atlanta at home. Then they're at St. Louis. Okay. At Miami for three. Then they've got one, two, three, four, five in a row against the Phillies. That could help. And then they've got three against Cleveland. Cleveland probably still be playing for some. Look, Nationals schedule, no cakewalk. Yeah, they got two against the terrible uh, Orioles and three against the Marlins. Other than that, and these next three still against Pittsburgh, other than that, those are, those are all hard games. Okay? Feeling a little better now. Let's take a look at who's, who's next. Who else do we want to look at? Let's take a look at, let's take a look at St. Louis's schedule down the stretch. All right. Let's take a look at the Cardinals. All right. They've got Milwaukee the next two games. Again, that, that, that helps them. We don't really care who wins those, these games. It's still too early. So it, it, either, either, either team losing helps the Mets. Then they've got four at home against Colorado. Eh. Then they're at Milwaukee for three. Then they've got Cincinnati. They're home for Cincinnati for four. Home for the Giants for four. Oy, they got an easy schedule here. At Pittsburgh for three. At Colorado for three. Again, the Rockies are dangerous at home. Then they got Milwaukee at home for three. Washington at home for three. At Chicago for four. At Arizona. Arizona's a pain in the neck to play. And then Chicago at home. All right. They, they seem to have a fairly easy schedule. But again, they're going to probably, if they keep winning, they'll win the division and knock off some teams that the Mets need to lose. So that's not the worst thing in the world. Let's take a look at who the Cubs have left here. Any day now, ESPN.com. Any day now. Okay, here we go. Here's the Cubby schedule. All right. They've got San Francisco at home for uh, three easy games. Home against Washington. Again, either way, that probably helps the Mets. Then they have the Mets, obviously. And then they've got Milwaukee. Again, either way. Two at home against Seattle. Yuck. At Milwaukee for four. Again, that'll probably help the Mets, regardless of who wins those games. At San Diego for four. Again, San Diego not great, but they're not a total pushover. Then they got the Pirates at home for three. Pushover. Although the Pirates hate the Cubs. So that could get interesting. Then they've got the Reds at home for three. Eh. Home for four against St. Louis. Again, that'll help the Mets either way probably. At Pittsburgh for three and at St. Louis. All right, you know what? Look, again, if the Mets go 24 and 14, they're making the playoffs. I'm calling it right now. 88 wins gets them in. All right, one more break. Back with some NFL preseason right after this. 
Okay, we're back here in the last segment of Jamal about sports on a Tuesday. So NFL preseason, look, as we know, for the most part, NFL preseason is, is kind of a joke. Uh, particularly now, you know, I didn't used to be. I think, you know, teams used to play their starters more. I think you could unearth some, some hidden gems, some back-end-of-the-roster guys, late-round picks, undrafted free agents. I used to find that fun. That was the stuff I used to focus on. Um, but, you know, that was 15, probably 20 years ago. With the advent of all the off-season work that gets done now, from the mini camps and the OTAs and, the, you know, the voluntary stuff and all this other nonsense, and then now teams like the Lions do a lot of joint practices against other teams. So they had a week of practice against the Patriots. They had a week of practice against the Texans where, look, the Lions work on very specific in-game situations, right? 30 seconds left, no timeouts. You got to get to the 40-yard line and try a long field goal. And you do it against another team, not doing it against your own defense. You can prepare. The coaches agree to do stuff like that. It's probably more helpful and more beneficial than, than an actual preseason game because you have to dictate the situations you want to work on, whereas obviously in a preseason game you can't. Now, I'm sure the speed of play is probably a little bit higher in a preseason game, but whatever. It's, uh, uh, the, basically, preseason games have become for the last 10 guys on the roster, pretty much. It's probably you know, 15 guys trying to make the last 10 spots, special teams, other things. Um. But you'd never know it the way the uh, NFL Network and ESPN cover this. I mean, it, it, it's so bad. The false, na- the self-serving false narratives that both networks now deal in is a joke. Okay. I mean, all I heard about three weeks ago was how Kyler Murray was going to take the league by storm. Oh, my God, he looks so good in practice. This Kyler Murray, Larry Fitzgerald is gushing over Kyler Murray. Oh, he's going to be the greatest thing since sliced bread. And he went out in the first preseason game, and he stunk to high heaven. Can we let the guy play a freaking game that counts first before we put his ass in Canton? They did it three years ago. I had to hear how great Jimmy Garoppolo was. Because the 49ers went 3-2 and two against five cupcakes in the last five games of the year two years ago in meaningless games. And by the way, Garoppolo didn't even play all that well in those games. I think he had seven touchdowns and five interceptions. But that was it. Oh, Jimmy Garoppolo. Yeah. Next star. Went out last night and stunk the joint up. Now look, I'm not saying... He's going to be terrible. And I'm not saying Kyler Murray's going to be terrible. But again, can we let these guys maybe play a game? Or in Jimmy Garoppolo's case, can we let them play a full season first? And maybe even more than one season? Before we make determinations about how good a player is? I mean, the NFL Network is just fluff galore. I mean, look, that Good Morning Football, when it first, the, the, new, the newer format with, with Burleson and Kyle Brandt and, Peach, and, and, and Schrager, who used to be great because he was actual real journalist who covers the league. Now he's just a mouthpiece for the league. He's just a pom-pom waver, unfortunately. And Kay Adams, who's fine as, the, as sort of the, 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 the glue, the moderator, keeps it all together. 
It used to be sort of a nice kind of light departure. Now all it is is basically the, the loudest voice propaganda show of the biggest propaganda wing of the NFL, which is the NFL Network. I mean, it's a joke. Every player is the greatest player. Every team's the greatest team. I mean, you, you watch an NFL, uh, NFL uh, Good Morning Football show, and, and every team's going 16-0. It's embarrassing. I mean, guys, can we tone it down a little? I understand you want to keep it light and happy. That's fine. But, I mean, here's the thing. There is no more critical analysis done about the NFL. None. Or you have to go find it in small pockets like a Dan Orlovsky. We'll actually break down film of quarterbacks. You know, but you've got to find that on Twitter. You know, there's, there's a couple of guys out there. Jeff Schwartz. Ex-offensive lineman If you want to learn about offensive line play Follow his Twitter And overall the guy knows what he's talking about But I mean the rest of it's embarrassing All the TV stuff is embarrassing Again no more critical analysis It's completely gone There's none It's all these self-serving false narratives To get more viewers Oh watch how great this guy is Watch how great that guy is Maybe the guy's not that great yet ridiculous oh listen I'm not telling you I'm not saying that you have to sit there and trash guys when it's not warranted but I mean again I mean you would have thought Kyler Murray and the Cardinals were going to go 14 and 2 he was going to have a Pat Mahomes like year and again I get it's a preseason game it's his first pro game okay he very well may have a great rookie year but can we tamp it down a little bit, please? You know, just because the Cardinals are raving about him, what do you think the Cardinals are going to do? Except for this knucklehead John Gruden, that's what every team does, is they pump their players up. You know, oh, Larry Fitzgerald's not given to platitudes. Who cares? Listen, I have a ton of respect for Larry Fitzgerald. He's been an exemplary uh, representative of the league. He's, been, he's had a Hall of Fame career. Another, I have nothing bad to say about Larry Fitzgerald, but, I mean, so what? Because one guy on the team has a couple of nice things to say about Kyler Murray. Now, all of a sudden, he's going to be the greatest thing since sliced bread. It's just, so, it's just dumb. It's just lazy. I mean, the Garoppolo thing was, you know, but, of course, because, you know, he had the Patriots holy water sprinkled on him. You know, he had the magic Tom Brady fairy dust. So, of course, you know, he was going to be a star. Except he's not. He hadn't done a thing yet in the league. All right, lastly, a uh, couple TV recommendations. Ended on a lighter note. Um, in these uh, somewhat trying times, shall we say, where uh, social media and TV are pretty tough to take, and it's a lot of screaming and yelling and a lot of depressing things happening. Uh, if you want just a really sort of fun, light, delightful escape, go watch Lights Out with David Spade. Now, first of all, I will admit I'm biased. I love David Spade. I loved him a million years ago when, it was on, when he was on Saturday Night Live. I happen to have uh, the, an occasion to meet him once out in a bar, and he couldn't have been nicer. So, of course, I'm going to also like him because of that. It was when he was on SNL. I was waiting in line uh, for the men's room at this place called Bowery Bar, which used to be a hip place downtown. 
Uh, it was during fashion week. I was there with my friend Heather. Her father is a big deal in the fashion world, and I was down there post the fashion show. Whatever. Long story short, I'm online at the bathroom. David Spade's standing in front of me. Not the tallest guy you're ever going to meet, by the way. But he's standing in front of me online for the bathroom, waiting like everybody else, not big-timing anybody. And, you know, he used to do that little sketch on SNL where he would be the receptionist and somebody would come in to see his boss and he'd be like, and you are? Oh, could you be a lamb and wait for a sketch? Whatever. It was a funny little sketch that he used to do. So I'm standing behind him online and I start kind of giving him his sketch. So he turns around and goes, ah, now you like that. Ah, cool. Hey, I'm David. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I know. And he's like, what's your name? I'm like, I'm Jamal. He's like, cool. All right. And he turned around. That was it. But, you know, he acknowledged it. It was a nice little interaction. So I've always liked him. But anyway, it's a fun show. He has three people on a panel. He does, this, he does a little opening monologue. Very on brand. If you know David Spade, makes fun of celebrities, makes fun of pop culture, right? Very snarky. Uh... And then he's got three people come out. They're usually either stand-ups, people he's worked with. He had Carvey on. He had Dennis Miller on. By the way, what a pleasure to watch Dennis Miller actually just be funny and be Dennis Miller and not rant and rave like a lunatic about politics. It was nice. You know, they did a whole, like, little opening sketch, a little joke about, you know, hey, Dennis, you know, I, you know maybe tone it down with some of the arcane references. Say, oh, okay, babe, what do you mean? A little, uh, little less, a little more Oscar Wilde, a little less uh, Socrates? You know, making fun of himself. It was good. He had the whole cast of Barry on recently. I think that was last night's show. It's just, it's just a fun, light lark, if you will. Uh, so that's one. Um, and the other, and now I can't remember because my brain is gone. Oh, Dead to Me, Netflix, fantastic. Christina Applegate and uh, Linda Cardellini, love it. Go out and watch that. If you haven't watched what we, what we Do in the Shadows, also fantastic. It's an FX show. So there's three for you. Glow's back on. I haven't watched it yet, but I'm sure it's going to be great, so I'm looking forward to that. All right, that will do it for tonight's show. As always, thanks for listening. You can check us out wherever you get your podcasts, iTunes, Apple. Check us out on SoundCloud. Go to the website, jamalaboutsports.com. The Facebook page, jamalaboutsports. Twitter, at jamalaboutsport, no less. Until next time, enjoy all the sports and peace out.